Broadcasting from the city of brotherly love, Philadelphia to around the globe. You're listening to Shark Bite Biz, your exclusive place for business strategy, sales, marketing, and tech in the roaring 20s. And now, here's your host, David Strausser. I'm your fabulous host, David Strausser, and it's time for another incredible episode of Shark Bite Biz, your place to learn how to grow a business during complete chaos. You all know the storyline by now. Each and every week I come in and pretty much the first words I say is, I got an amazing show for you all today. Well, guess what? Today, I got a superb show for you all today. Why? Well, because I do. It's just one of my favorite types of episodes where I really get the mix business and pleasure. I guess you can kind of say my pleasure is business, yeah? <laughs> so, all the fans out there, though, you all know, everybody that's watched the show, I love tech. I'm a huge techie. I live on the edge of bleeding edge tech. Whether it's cloud gaming with Google Stadia or now Amazon Luna, or maybe it's mobile devices, networks. I have my own cloud server here in the house. I just love shiny new tech things that maybe they have perfect vision with the product launch or the service launch, but in reality, when you actually get them to use them, they fall a little bit short and they're probably just as imperfect as I am. It's kind of like my beloved Philadelphia Eagles, you know? They look good on paper, but as the season played out, whoo, not so good. Well, with all the big news that we've had this past year or so with 5G being in the headlines, mostly around some crazy theories out there, and also with Elon Musk, Starlink, grabbing you know more and more headlines every couple months as that service keeps improving. And who can really forget about T-Mobile and Sprint merging to finally give AT&T and Verizon some real competition. I felt right now was probably the best time that we could really just have a good conversation about what is going on in the wireless industry. Data is ever so important in our reality. Work from home, virtual schooling. It's really crazy how much data we are consuming right now during the pandemic. And, you know, I've got to give a shout out. This is a bad shout out, but I've got to give a shout out to Comcast because in the middle of all this that we have going on, everybody's favorite Corporation Comcast has just announced that anybody who is not on their unlimited plan is now locked in at 1.2 terabytes per month for their data usage. If you go over that, you are going to get overage charges. This is insane. This is the wrong time to be launching a data cap. There is no reason why Comcast needs to enforce that. No logical business reason. And fattening the wallet of their shareholders is no longer acceptable in 2020. I don't 
think this is good for us at all, especially if you think about it, because most places actually have just a monopoly or a duopoly or a triopoly for their internet service. It is very, very limited. Now, hear me out. Am I saying that I think everybody should have free internet? No. Everybody should pay for internet, but... When you are talking about broadband, you're talking about a physical tethered connection to your house, Uh, probably fiber optics, but whatever it is, it's high end broadband. Okay, that should be unlimited if you're on tiered plans. I mean, maybe if you're going with a bottom line cheap plan that's just basic, basic service, opt into something cheaper, data cap, okay, I'm all for that. But for most people, with how much they have to pay and the limited choice that they have, it there should be no data caps, no data caps whatsoever. I think this is so regressive and against what we need as a country with this pandemic going on. I don't know what they're they're thinking It's pretty crazy, but whatever, okay? Let's get back to today's guest because we have an awesome, awesome guest today. Good friend of mine. His name is Hugh Odom. Hugh Odom is a former AT&T attorney for over 11 years and the founder and president of Vertical Consultants, a telecom consulting firm that has provided consulting advice for companies like Walmart, Disney, governmental institutions like the United States Postal Services, New York Housing Authority, Veterans Affair, the City of Atlanta, and the City of Charlotte. You can share the evolving story of how the telecom industry, both service infrastructure and cell site locations, has and will become more crucial based upon the COVID-19 pandemic and the quote-unquote new normal. That will result after COVID-19 has run its course. As the founder and president of Vertical Consultants, Hugh wants to demystify not only what is being reported in the news, but what is going on behind the scenes inside companies like AT&T, Verizon, and T-Mobile. So without further ado, let's bring Hugh on in here. Business Operations. Hugh, welcome to Shark Bite Biz. So glad to have you here today. Thanks for the opportunity to be part of your program. We really we really welcome the opportunity. Oh, no problem. I'm really excited about this episode because I'm big into tech, bleeding edge tech. And, you know, your work in the mobile industry oh, has me really excited. So I know who you are, but why don't you tell all our viewers out there on YouTube, uh, on Spotify, iTunes out there listening, who is Hugh? I'm the, uh, my name is Hugh Odom. I'm the president and founder of a company called Vertical Consultants. We've been in business for about 10 years now. My background is being a real estate and uh, telecom attorney for over 20 years. I was an attorney inside AT&T for almost 11 years. Uh, and we work with property owners all throughout the United States, from individuals to churches, schools, municipalities, all the way up to we've been counsel for companies like Walmart, Disney, uh, City of Atlanta, uh, New York Housing Authority, all across the board. 
we work with them to help negotiate new uh, sell site leases and also renegotiate and restructure existing ones. Uh, our focus is to try to get the best economics for our customers, our clients, and those agreements, and also protect them with regards to their overall properties. Wow, that that's great. And, you know, this day and age, being mobile, global pandemic, all this stuff, I mean, having cell tower sites is probably pretty important, I'd say. Yeah, it's, it's become, <laughs> I mean, it's the backbone. I tell people besides food, water, and air, the thing you rely upon most every day is communication. And that communication is usually through a mobile device that you're holding on to. And so the, the backbone, the ability for people to provide that communication from one person to another in different means is those cell towers, are those cell sites. You can have the most sophisticated technology on your phone, all these apps that you can download, all this information you can have access to. If that cell tower is not working, it's like having a car with no gasoline in the, in, the, in, the, in the tank. It doesn't go anywhere. Oh, yeah, definitely. I think everybody's experienced a dead spot here or there. So uh, I think <laughs> yes, they, they know have. exactly. <laughs> yes. So, and, and it's amazing how amazing how freaked out we've become. We can't get to, get to work. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. I, I remember, you know, I lost service. I, have, uh, I love my uh, Galaxy S20 5G Ultra plus, 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 whatever it's called now. <laughs> <laughs> but right. I, I remember like as soon as I can't get service, it's like, oh, man, here I am. Twitter is Philadelphia, you know, cell service down and it it, uh, it freaks you out. It, it's definitely yeah. it gives you that uncomfortable feeling, you know, it, 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 it is. It's like the, it's like when the power goes off. It's OK for a few minutes, but then you go, how long is it going to stay dark? And that's oh, where man. that's really what that's really what it is. You start becoming a darkness because we're so we're so ingrained to have this ability to have communication and, and, and be able to access data. And when that goes away, we're in the dark for most, most of us. Oh yeah, definitely. Especially with such a uh, data present society. I mean, everything that we do right now revolves around data in some sort. I mean, you need some level of connect connectivity. Personally, I find myself making phone calls less and less. I mean, it's VoIP calls or it is a Zoom chat like we're doing right now or some other connectivity to where if the phone service goes down, I could live without that much longer than I could if the internet went down. Sure, sure. I mean, our our wireless devices really. I, I kid people that you know, you go get a new phone and you don't ask them how the phone works. You ask them how everything else works, and that's really right. we become we become dependent upon not for a phone call, but everything else that we is provided through that little mobile device. Right, right. So let's get into the first big topic I have for you. I wanted to chew on this one first, which is the 5G rollout, because I I don't get it, but 5G has got bad press out there. Uh, you know, a lot of weird people thinking weird things, I think. Is there any truth to the rumors? I think every, to me, it's just like, for, it, it's the further evolving of 4G LTE, uh, you know, should people be fearful of 5G? No, no, they shouldn't be fearful of 5G. 5G is just, 5G is basically, think of it this way. It's the same car. You're just switching out the engine. It gets you there a lot quicker. It provides you a lot better performance. You can handle the road a lot better, things of that nature. It's not something people should fear. It's, it's something that people should embrace. It's going to make life a lot different for a lot of people as time goes on. For, you know, that for a lot of not only people in urban areas, but the big thing is 5G rolls out across the country. As we've kind of come to know in the last few months with COVID, 
that, that we need access to internet and things of that nature a lot more than we did at the start of this year because of different ways we work and how we school our children and how we do health, even health visits now over the, right. over the internet, that 5G will speed those things up, make those things more reliable, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, I really think that it's going to really change how we communicate. I mean, I know we'll, we'll talk more about T-Mobile and stuff like that later, but I just, I'm from a small city originally in Pennsylvania called Pottsville, maybe about 20,000 people or so. And yeah. now for the first time in probably a couple decades, they actually have a new option for high-speed internet. And that's because with T-Mobile, they've enabled the 5G for basically broadband at home. And I think that's pretty awesome. Well, with all the rollout of 5G, what's happening is it's twofold. What people see on the commercials is they're seeing the cell tower upgrades and all these build out new cell towers, but you're also having all the fiber optic network under the ground, et cetera, being built out. And that allows it a lot of tie in for homes and other businesses to times that fiber optic network is being laid out as part of the 5G network. So it's, mm -hmm. it's, it's a, what we're doing out there, what's being happening out there is you're building more and more infrastructure. When you build more and more infrastructure, it's kind of like going and driving on your highway and you have, you have a, a four lane highway. And it becomes a six lane highway. What happens? Right. You got a lot less traffic, right? So that's what this infrastructure is. You're just making that highway a lot wider, a lot more available for more cars to travel. And when you have more, more room, you can travel at higher speeds as well. How big is that difference between like 4G LTE versus 5G? I mean, is that a proper like analogy that you just gave where it's four lane to six lane or do you think it's much wider than that well there's two there's two big there's many points but there are two big points you're talking about speed and when it and the right now we're in the initial stages of building out the 5g network so we're talking about when it gets rolled out completely you're talking up to 100 times faster okay than it is okay. right now that's number one somewhat related to that it's latency the latency is like think of pushing a button you push a button, you have this little bit of delay. That's latency. Um, what happens is that latency gets diminished drastically. So you, that's where you talk about have self-driving cars, self-operating equipment, because you can have that point, that latency point narrow tremendously. So that allows you that. So you get speedier movement of data, but you also get a, a diminishment of latency. So those are the big two things. So you're going up when it all gets rolled out, the predictions are somewhere close to 100 times faster and a tremendous diminishment in latency time between what you push the button and it actually reacts. Right. And the capacity as far as how many connected devices can be sure. on that is drastically increased as well, too, right? It is. It is. It, it's, it's dependent. That varies a little bit based upon how the network is laid out. But yes, you can. So you're going to have the ability to basically think of having more outlets in the wall. You can plug in more right. devices. That's basically the other part of it. Connectivity. Okay. Okay. That makes sense. So one of the topics that you just talked on was about, you know, COVID telemedicine, stuff like that. An interesting story I saw maybe a couple of weeks ago, I think it was with the fires that were out West where people were using Starlink, for example, for, um, you know, fighting the fires out there, the first responders in the fires, they were using Starlink. I mean, that sounds like a perfect situation 
for, you know, mobile infrastructure with 5G to be, you know, if it was out there capable at the time that it could have really fit those needs during an emergency situation, right? Well, the biggest thing, that's that's a good, that's a good uh, example. But the biggest thing right now is we've gone from an understanding that most most people thought, you know, years ago, especially that that mobile service was a kind of a privilege, not a necessity. Now it's become a necessity. And where that's really kind of overflowed is into not in the urban areas, but more rural areas. So you start getting right. out and you start moving that out with things like emergency services, uh, schooling, things of that nature. So you had this big oh, yeah. disparity. Let's say a school in the, in the middle of a rural area versus a school in the middle. You, know, you talked about Pennsylvania. You're you know, maybe Pottsville versus Philadelphia. Well, kid, oh, yeah. you know, or, or even where I am, I'm in the Nashville, Tennessee area. And we have Nashville is a pretty a good sized town, but we have areas where you have school systems that overlap where you have kids that are in areas that are more rural, but they're in the same school system as, as some kids in a more urban area. So they have access right. to wireless services while kids, same kids in the same school don't. So this is where this is going to be. I think what's going to happen is you're going to see a lot of mandates by the federal government to for these larger companies, AT&T, Verizon, T-Mobile, et cetera, to in their build outs, not to only be focused on areas that are profitable for them, but also areas that need to be built out for necessity to provide these services, like you were mentioning for certain emergency services for uh, for fires and other things. Yeah, and I think that that's a great thing, because I can say right now, for example, our smart home has probably grown enormously since we've been living here. And then you add into that. Now I have all the kids devices. Uh, they're doing the virtual learning. I mean, even with having fiber optic connection here, I mean, I probably have throughout the course of a day, like a 100 uh 100 plus devices connected to our Wi-Fi system. Uh, thank God I have a Orbi, uh, Orbi Wi-Fi 6 router, so it's able to handle everything. But, you know, if I was out in a more rural section where I wasn't able to get that, you know, the, the gig connection that I have, that bandwidth, I don't think that would be possible. I think, you know, my ability to adopt bleeding edge at bleeding edge tech would be severely limited. Sure. And and that's where we're getting into a point where there's this built, there's this exponential growth in data usage. And that's from all these different devices connected, but all the different services. So what's happening in, in the industry is telecom is going to some of these service providers. When I'm talking about service providers, think of like Spotify, Netflix, right. all these things. What's happening is you have all this data transferring one way and you have to handle it like that that uh, interstate highway. And what they're doing is the AT&T Verizon of the world are going to them and working with the Netflix, Spotify companies and saying, look, let's work to try to reduce the amount of data that you have to that you have to transfer. So they're working on both ends, increase the, the lanes for the highway I mentioned, but also make the car smaller as well. So if they can if they can reduce the data being transferred and also increase the width of, of the bandwidth, it works right. both ends. That's what's going on in the industry. I, I think that that's pretty awesome then. It's kind of, 
I don't know if it was coincidentally or what, but it seems like 5G and COVID are crossing at the right time because I often think like, where would we be right now if this pandemic happened five, 10, 15 years ago? I, I think most of us would be bored out of our minds. I mean, thank God that we have the wireless service we do, the fiber optics and stuff that we do because it's really opened up, you know, gave us something to be able to, you know, pass our time away with. Well, it's not only that, which is very important because, you know, boredom leads to other things which cause problems. Oh, but yeah. <laughs> you, get in, you get into what we kind of mentioned before. You get into how would we of 10 years ago handle schooling our children during this period of time mm -hmm. with regards to virtual learning? How would we have handled, you know, tele, telehealth services with regards to those things to be able to have, especially seniors, being able to reach out to their doctors and being able to have some communication with them? So this is right. something that eventually we're moving into a different world with regards to how we interact as a society, but also how we interact with services that we, we usually have in our, in our lives from, from day to day to, to more business wise. So this is something that you're right. It, it crossed at a very interesting point in time. And I think it, it put a more of a shining light on the necessity for some of these things. Yeah. You know, and it's kind of cool because it, it just all converged at once and I, I don't know. I mean, telehealth, eh, I cannot speak today. Telehealth <laughs> has been around for years, okay? Right. You have Zoom, Microsoft Teams, you know, you a lot of these services that we're fully embracing have been around, but it wasn't until the pandemic that it was like they really got spotlighted and pushed further. And now they went from nobody six months ago to a daily part of our lives or telehealth. I mean, I'm doing essentially all of my appointments via telehealth on my T-Mobile network service. Whereas a year ago from now, no, I didn't have any. My, none of my providers would even allow me to do telehealth with them. It had to be in-person office visits. So it's really awesome how everybody kind of had to adopt with the situation, pivot, realize what it was, and then they embraced the technology with pretty much open arms so that we could all move together, you know, at the same time with this situation. Well, what what I, I kind of look at it is, is I agree with you 100%, is that what's happening is you have the generational gap. And what we see mm -hmm. is a lot of generational, let's say 50 or above, we're hesitant about using certain services that were internet-based, mobile-based, because they were unfamiliar with it, number one. They thought issues with it with regards to privacy and things of that nature. Now they're probably being forced into it, not only from a private enterprise of them using it privately, but a business enterprise as well. So you had a lot of, I mean, I come from the, the legal background of having to go into yeah. an office and things like that. Now that, and you had, you had to go into the office, you had to be there to do your work. Well, now people are realizing there's a way to get things done and you don't have to go to a physical brick and mortar kind of building to actually do right. the work there. And we live in a lot larger global market with regards to being able to do transactions and never see the person. And so that's kind of forcing a certain generation, I'll call it 50 and above, to be forced into adapting, whereas the younger Generation X and millennials had already adapted, understood this, and that was going to transition mm -hmm. anyway. Right. No, I, I absolutely agree with you. So I've got to ask you there, you just mentioned about having to go to brick and mortar. Now you don't have to. 
are you enjoying working from home? Uh, yeah, I mean, we, we do and don't. I mean, we have we have uh, different offices around the country. So I, yeah. it's, I and I'm I'm the owner of the company, primary owner. So I, you know, it's kind of now it's now to track people down a little bit. So it's a little bit, it's yeah. a little difficult. But but no, I mean, we're we understand that we have a lot of people on mobile anyway. They're virtual anyway. But but uh, yeah, it's different. It's definitely you know you have to. You have to basically stake your space in your home <laughs> with regards right, to right, you know right. area, and also you know with regards to hey, I need this to be quiet <laughs> for this area. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right before I, this, I told you like, hey, I yeah. have to go give the three-year-old a warning that daddy's doing shark bite biz because uh, <laughs> that's how it yeah, is. Yeah, I've looked into starting a soundproofing business where you could just instantly well, you know, in, in soundproof rooms. That'd be just a you know goldmine there. Well, if this five G thing ever falls through, I. I think there you go. You got there a new go. business plan. <laughs> That's so right. uh, a couple other topics that I want to touch on. This is really informative. Um, you know, I, I just told you a story a couple minutes ago about all the devices that I have hooked up in my house. Now that's just my house. Think about a business office building. Maybe you have a hundred employees there. Well, maybe not now with COVID, but you still probably have a lot of devices connected. Okay. Right. Is, you know, how I, I guess what I'm trying to ask is, can the 5G infrastructure, does it really have the capability to maintain the business requirements? You know, if tens of millions of people are forced to work from home right now? No. I mean, that's that's the quick answer. Uh, and let me kind of give you a little bit of a, a kind of a, a kind of a basis for this. Right now in the United States, you have about 400,000 cell towers and rooftop cell sites, give or take right. about 10 or 20,000. You're going to have to build out the, the, the before COVID, the forecast was you're going to have to build out by 2025, 2026, 27, you're going to build out another million cell mm-hmm. sites. Okay. So right now, no, you have the, the, the horse is way ahead of the cart in this, in this case. So you've got to catch up. You've got to lag. The cart right. needs to catch up the horse. And so right now, no, because they what's happened is this was already something that was needed to maintain Uh the race ahead of the data that was being processed. But now, since you have more people at home schooling, as we talked about telehealth and things like that, this is they've lit a a match on the fire, put kerosene on the fire, and now they have to move even faster. So right now, no, it's not you have you can't handle it. So that's why there's going to be a really a race to get all this built out. And when you see these commercials on TV and you see nationwide 5G, nationwide, it's, I, I'm not saying they're not being truthful. I'm just saying there's a little bit, there's a little asterisk at the bottom of these commercials that everybody needs to read about the maps don't actually indicate where all the 5G is. So oh, yeah. That. yeah. Oh yeah. In fact, uh, I just saw somebody, I'm not going to mention any names, but I think somebody got in trouble by one of the federal commissions or something for their 5G ads last week, I think it was. <laughs> yeah, it's it's I mean, they're trying so hard to promote it for a lot of different reasons, um, because they have a lot of stake both on both ends on the content side and the service side, because the big play here for the for the the carriers is not just to provide you the service, but to be able to sell you the content. So think of the example if people are old enough, you remember when you had the old Kodak cameras and you buy the right. Kodak camera. And they'd almost give you a camera because they wanted to sell you the film, right? Because the right. film made them more money. Well, the service, the AT&T service, the Verizon service is, is that camera, 
they're trying to not only own the service, they're trying to sell you the content own the companies that's selling you the content that you provide use on that on that phone. So the only way that works is to build out an infrastructure to be able to uh, handle all that. Do you feel that the wireless industry has become some sort of a commodity? I mean, you look at it back in the 90s, if you were selling wireless service, you all but needed like a, you know, an engineering degree when you were trying to sell it. And now you look at it, you essentially have teenagers who grew up with the technology, understand it, or young adults that are able to sell it. Everybody has it. Is it a commodity? Should it be a utility? What's your thoughts on this? Well, I think what you're, you're, there's two different ways. They're, they're actually selling you the device, which is a commodity to me. It's like selling you a game. I mean, it's selling you a computer. Right. It's, and so you have that. The, the, the services that, that, that is carried over that device is a utility. And like I mentioned before, you have this dependency. And just like turning on the lights, you know, or running water, things of that nature, we become so dependent upon it, it's become a utility. And that's where you get into this little gray area of how you handle this from a uh, oversight of how these companies not only build everything out, but competition as well. Because right. if you if you get to as we as we've diminished the amount of competitors out there when T-Mobile and Sprint merge, you get to a point where you have a a smaller amount of companies providing a service so they control a lot of aspects of that service, et cetera, et cetera. Right. So it, it, the, the phone itself, the sell of the phone, the phone itself is a commodity. The service in my mind, is becoming more and more a utility that's necessary for, for, uh, for people across the country. Oh, definitely. I mean, it's a lifeline for many, many, many people. So now that we've established that you feel that it's a utility for the service, do you think the federal government should require companies like AT&T, Verizon, T-Mobile to set up temporary cell sites, you know, both in rural and urban areas to handle this increased usage with people working from home with kids studying from home? Yeah, I think if my opinion would be, and I don't think they're going to call me and ask, <laughs> ask me to mandate it, but but if I were giving my opinion, I would tell you, I would say exactly that. I think they need to say, look, if we're allowing you to do X, Y, and Z on a global, on a, a nationwide basis, part of that is basically saying that part of your build out of your infrastructure, you're going to have to certain percentage for certain areas of certain population sizes, because you can't, because ultimately it's like any business. Where am I going to spend my money where I get the highest rate of return, right? If right. I just focus on those areas, I'm leaving other areas that basically don't have service or availability to 5G. So you have to go and say part of this is allowing you, the federal government, part of this is allowing you to build out your build out your network, but also you have to look for the overall community as well. So I think that's right. definitely going to be, I hate to say use the word mandate, but it's going to be part of the part of the deal points. Right, right, right. Understood. So I, I've got to ask this out of curiosity, then, as far as cellular companies, the way that you feel with the utility section of it, maybe some of those mandates, do you think that, you know, the big telecom companies should still be private companies? Or do you think the federal government owes some responsibility to, you know, be in charge of rolling this stuff out? Or do you think just having the regulations fine? 
No, I, I don't think I don't think the federal government should step in and, and basically control wireless services and things of that nature. I don't, I don't think they should they should take over. I think they should set certain parameters with regards to with mm-hmm. regards to, as I said, how it rolls out, how infrastructure is built out. But they also they also need to have certain certain. You know, I think one of the big things with the T-Mobile Sprint merger recently is mm-hmm. trying to get another competitor through Dish coming in and trying to get them maybe an easier pathway to build out. So there's not a concentration of, of control by three big companies. I think that's what they really need to, if you more have more competition, I think more competition is really going to drive it. And you may have certain, certain competitors that are focused on rural areas and things of that nature and have certain subsidies from the federal government Mm -hmm. to do that. So I think that's part of it. This is, you have to, you know, we we work a lot with property owners and negotiate on for our, our side against the, the telecom companies. Right. This is very much like the oil and gas industry of the turn mm-hmm. of the 20th century. And you think about how yeah. that rolled out. There was this big, you know, turn of the 20th century, these oil companies going out and getting all this land, building out this, you know, profiteering and all this. Eventually, the federal government came in and said, look, we have to protect everyone that deals with this. The people on the back uh-huh. end that you're selling the oil to, the people that you're leasing the land from, et cetera. So I don't think that it would be, it would be like the federal government taking over the oil and gas industry. I don't think that's advisable. I don't think this is advisable like any other utility. Yeah, yeah, no, that, that makes absolute perfect sense. With the Sprint T-Bobble merger that we were you were just talking about, what do you think about that? Do you think the consolidation Sprint and T-Mobile is ultimately a good thing for consumers or, you know, if it's replaced by somebody like Dish or do you think it's going to have some negative effects on the industry? Short term, I think it'll have a negative impact because you there's no way Dish can ramp up and step in the shoes of Sprint that Sprint that Sprint's going to leave open in the short term. Right. Long term, I think it's beneficial because you get a, I think Dish will be the issue with Sprint financially, they were they were on some shaky ground. Right. And I think if right. Dish will be in a lot better position than Sprint would have been, let's say, or Sprint would be five years from now if they had stayed Sprint by themselves. So I think mm-hmm. you know you're going to see some short-term pain. I think long-term benefit. Um, I think also, I think you need one more carrier in play. I think you need five total. I think yeah. just it gets you. I think maybe that's a maybe not a nationwide carrier, but have a uh, maybe again, we're talking about the rural areas. Maybe a, some more regional, and then growing into a nationwide carrier. I think that helps out. You have some competition okay. there as well. So like a, a U.S. cellular. Yeah, like a U.S. cellular. They're kind of again. They're not. Their financials aren't as great as we would think they would be based upon yeah. you know kind of the competition. But if you can get those those back by the government and some incentives there, you can grow that market. There's enough. The, the industry is huge. They're just. Again, it's um, it's just there's some openings for it if you do it the correct way. Yeah, yeah. So with T-Mobile, one of the things that I am surprised about is their previous CEO, John. Basically, I mean, the way that he was able to turn T-Mobile around. I mean, I think that's incredible what he did with T-Mobile and ultimately how it really drove the industry and brought it, you know, I was thinking for years, it was always, you know, in the telecoms, you know, 
their interests that they they had what they were offering and you know that was it it was take it or leave it i felt that he kind of turned the tables around with all the stuff that he started doing with t-mobile they kind of put it a little bit more on the consumer side of things and make things more consumer friendly like with the unlimited data and all that other stuff and you know, I, I thought he did an incredible, incredible job of turning T-Mobile around over what, like five, six year period. Well, I mean, my background, as I mentioned earlier, I was inside AT&T for over a decade. Yeah. And you learn that, and this has meant no disrespect to AT&T, AT&T and even Verizon, because Verizon is a spinoff of AT&T, they're, they're like elephants. They have a lot of right. power. They move very forcefully and very well straight but they don't move left or right very well. So yeah. if you, if you learn how in the industry become nimble, then you mm-hmm. can, you can, it's like a, it's like a mouse running around a, uh, an elephant, you know, the, yeah. the, the elephant scare the mouse, right? Because it's, <laughs> it's moving too quick. Yeah. So, so if you learn where, if you can be nimble and learn not, you can't, you don't have to be in concrete. Your feet don't have to be in concrete and you can move left, right, back, forth. Then you find these places where you can find a market share that the other companies aren't focusing on. And you start building upon that and it builds upon that and it builds upon that. And that's basically what T-Mobile did. They took the mentality of saying, look, you don't have to do one, two, three, four. You can do one, four, two, three. So you can right. go a different route. And that's what ultimately any good business does. They realize that you don't have to be, you don't have to vacillate, but you have to be flexible and you have to look at what your customer base wants and how to, how to take advantage of that. The failed merger with AT&T, I believe, helped out a lot, too, because it did give them a lot of airwaves around the country that they were able to use for roaming and stuff. But using that, I, I think they they had an opportunity with that that they earned. And because of that, they took it away. They ran with it. And it, it's amazing. I've been with them for about seven years. I would never consider switching because they've been, they literally went from like the worst customer service to the best customer service. I think they've been great. So now I want to chat about you, your business. Okay. You, you have sure. a very interesting business model where you help people lease out property sites for you know, mobile infrastructure, correct? Correct. So we, as I mentioned earlier, we've been in business for 10 years and our backgrounds, people that make up the company, been inside AT&T, Verizon, T-Mobile. That's where we mm-hmm. come from, from the legal side, the real estate side, the engineering side. So we cover the three big aspects of the business. And we work with property owners. If they've been in contact, you get a phone call, an email, a letter saying, hey, I need to use your property for a cell tower, put equipment on your rooftop. Put a, if I'm a municipality, I want to put them on your light poles, things of that nature. Right. We work with them when they're engaged. We also work to renegotiate and restructure existing agreements because the big thing out there from the property owner's perspective, whether you be an individual or you be a, a Fortune 500 company that's leasing uh, space on your buildings, is they don't understand they're playing the wrong game. Let's, I'll use the analogy of these companies and these individuals are really good baseball players, but AT&T, mm-hmm. Verizon are asking them to play football. Some of the skill yeah. set transfers, but it's not the same game. So you'll never win. We work to basically negotiate the best overall value for the, for the use of their property, to put the best structure in place going forward. So they not only leasing space, but leasing utility. So they're paid based upon that and also protect the property as well because property owners get themselves in some really bad situation because they chase that, that what called found money 
for leasing space on their property and they don't understand how much money they're leaving on the table. The average lease, sell site lease, leaves over a million dollars on the table. A wow. million dollars. We, in, on existing leases, our average increase immediately in revenue being pr produced for our clients is over 300%. Think about that. Where do you wow. get 300%? Because mm -hmm. we understand how to look at this from a utility perspective and not a real estate perspective. You're not leasing space, you're leasing utility. Wow, that that's a lot of money on the table. So yeah. how how does someone like say you have a property or like, hey, I think this would be great. I mean, how does that whole process of site selection actually start? Well, that's one of the things we get contacted probably three to five hundred times a week by property owners wow. saying, I have a great location, I have this property, et cetera, et cetera. And there's three levels of, of, of kind of the property owners. There is the individual that says, I have this property, you know, here in Atlanta, Georgia, or in Las Vegas or wherever. And I think it'd be a great location for a cell tower. Well, you can't go to an AT&T Verizon and say, I have this great location. You need to build something here. They don't build a location and work their network around location. They find a location that works their network build out plan. So that's right. really a, that's really a, a, a road that people shouldn't travel too far on trying to track that down. So we tell people don't do that. So let's say you own like 10 commercial properties. Then you can possibly contact the tower companies and the, and the wireless carriers and say, have this these properties open and they put it in their database and there may be an opportunity there. The third is if you're a large corporation that has hundreds of properties across the United States, then you can enter some master agreements with these carriers and then you can possibly be in a situation of lease your property but there's no way to go out and say i have a property at&t please use it and they just connect and call them and they start wanting to use your property what happens is they contact you they send you a, a letter they give you a phone call etc shucks there goes my shot uh, <laughs> <laughs> well but but, but here's but here's the silver lining as i mentioned yeah. earlier there's about four hundred thousand cell sites right now there's a million that's going to need to be built so think about wow. that. So, so you're going to have yeah. an opportunity to, there's going to be the, the odds are long, but they're going to get shorter. That didn't mean that everybody's going to get something on their property, but you're going to have, you're continuing to have to build out the infrastructure because what you need is densification of the network. Mm -hmm. It's so you just need to get more and more sites. So does that mean your, your odds went up? Yes. Your odds are still very long on getting something on your property, but the, what you need to know is once you get that phone call, once you get that letter, is to make the best of that opportunity. So I don't know if you can disclose this or not, but give us an idea. I mean, if you do get one on your property, I mean, what's kind of like an average contract look like? Well, the, just kind of give you a general, what you're looking at is you're looking at an agreement that's going to be for between 25 to 30 years. That's what they're going to want you to commit mm -hmm. to. The What people contact a lot about and say, hey, I, you know, I'm in... I'm in Los Angeles or I'm in Atlanta or I'm in Chicago or I'm in Topeka, Kansas or wherever. And they say, what is the market rate for a cell tower here? And there's no such thing as a market rate. You have to look at each individual situation. It's like saying, what is the value of an oil well? Right. Yeah. yeah. It's like how much production is being generated. Right. You can have 10 oil wells within five miles of each other. It, they all have different values. That's how these companies right. valued on the other side. So, but you're looking at, the value of a, a typical sell site lease over the life of it, over those 30 years, can range from the hundreds of thousands of dollars up to the low million. And then, but, wow. but in general, what's happening, but here's the problem. 
-hmm. If I come out to you and let's say I'm a tower company and I say to you, I'm going to offer you just throw out a number, $2,000 a month, a 3% escalator, and I want a 30 year term, right? Yeah. So, and I want to put my cell tower out there. Well, now what have they done? They've got you to fix their cost because no matter how valuable that site becomes, all they're paying you is $2,000, 3% escalator over the next 30 years. So if I came wow. to you and I said, look, I'm from Exxon. I want to put an oil well on your property. I'm going to offer you $2,000 a month, 3% escalator. And for the next 30 years, I get to keep all the oil. Your first question would be, how much oil are you going to have, right? <laughs> so you, you think yep. of this as, again, not structuring based upon rent, but structuring based upon value being derived. And that's where people make the mistake is they think about rent and don't think about overall structure. This is a utility agreement and not a real estate agreement, even though you're leasing space. Wow, that's really great because it goes back to the discussion that we were having generally about the wireless industry being a utility. Here we are you know, on the infrastructure side and we're talking about it as a utility. This right. was awesome. Yeah, it is. It's <laughs> way, I mean, if we're, we try to, we get to try to people to, play the right game. Again, yeah. they're playing the wrong game. Our first discussion with people is very simple. Don't worry about what you've been offered from an AT&T, Verizon, whoever. Understand what you're offering them. Simple. It's just yeah. the, the, the difficulty of this is people are unfamiliar with the industry. Our job mm -hmm. is to get them more familiar with the industry and thinking a bigger picture than just think about rent. Wow. Hey, Hugh, this was an amazing, amazing interview. Thank you. It's been very informative. I've learned a lot of things talking with you today. Do us a favor, all our viewers, listeners out there, how can they get in contact with you? Well, the easiest way is to go to our website, which is celltowerleaseexperts.com. Again, that's celltowerleaseexperts.com. You can contact us. Our phone numbers are there and email addresses as well. Perfect. Thank you again, Hugh, for coming on Shark Bite Biz. And I'm looking forward to getting you back some point next year. Thank you so much. We, we appreciate the opportunity. Yep. Thanks. Cheers. Thank you. Wow. That discussion with Hugh, it was lit. I mean, wasn't it? And you get better than that. It's my two favorite worlds, leading edge tech and business. Absolutely loved it. So first, before I get to the episode summary, if you enjoyed this interview, do me a solid, please. This is David Strausser, host of Shark Bite Biz, asking you all to do me a favor. Subscribe. Doesn't matter where you're at, okay? Smash the like button, smash the subscribe button. If you're watching on YouTube, if you're watching uh, on Spotify, iTunes, Google Podcasts, Deezer, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, Amazon, Amazon's Audible, wherever you're at, smash that like button, smash that subscribe button, give us a five-star rating. The point is we're trying to get this out there so that more and more people can hear these great stories like we just talked about with Hugh to help them break through barriers that are preventing growth to help them get educated so that way they can grow both professionally and personally. So share this episode out to your whole network. 
doesn't matter where you're at, LinkedIn, Twitter, Facebook, any of the other, you know, social medias out there. Let's just get Shark Bite Biz trending on social media. That's my goal. Use hashtag Shark Bite Biz. Let's get it out there. Tag us and let's build this community together. Now let's get back to Hugh, okay? Seriously, it was a great interview. It was extremely informative. It's amazing how mobile networks, whether it's 5G or even satellite with Elon Musk, Starlink, you know, they're providing emergency services to areas that normally would not have internet at all. They did that during the hurricane. They did it during the California wildfires. This is bleeding edge technology and it is going to change how things are done in the future because we can rapidly deploy service so that people can communicate. Whereas just a year ago, that wasn't possible. If the fires knock out service to a specific area in California, guess what? I mean, they have radios if it's getting service and it's picking up signal and that's about it. So this is a huge, huge breakthrough for businesses, for security, for everything. And I just wish that it could get deployed even faster. He gave us some really great insight, though, too, about just some comparisons with how the cell tower industry is now like the oil business was maybe about 100 years ago or so. And it is really insane with how much money you can get for leasing your property for a cell tower. Like you said, though, I mean, it's all about how strategic your site is and how much demand there is for the tower. If you are lucky enough to have a prized location, you could be rolling in the dough like Scrooge McDuck on top of all those uh, billions of billions of coins that he had in there. But for most people, I mean, it just really depends how strategic is the site. So that's where somebody like Hughes Company is really able to help you all out. Lastly, I really did enjoy the capacity discussion that we had with Hugh because not only, okay, so you've got to go back. Okay, think about this. We had a discussion as far as coverage and the signal reach, but if your signal reaches, but there's not enough bandwidth or capacity to handle all the data requests, you have just as big as a problem as if the, the signal doesn't reach out there too. And that's really where 5G is going to change things. It is going to expand how much we can use the internet and it will be able to handle both businesses and consumers alike, especially during the pandemic with their increased data needs. So think about it. Instead of having maybe like a 10-minute meeting inside of a cubicle last year in your office, you're now pretty much forced to do a Microsoft Teams call or maybe it's a Zoom call or a Skype call. So you went from essentially zero data usage to have that 10 minute meeting to maybe a couple of hundred megs to maybe a gigabyte or two of data usage. Now multiply that extra data usage by every single American in the United States. And, you know, that's a, that's a huge amount of data increase that just happened in 2020. 
But according to Hugh, with the capacity of 5Gs, we're going to be in good shape. It really comes down to like what Hugh was saying, where think about the interstate highway that was four lanes and... Now the Department of Transportation is expanding it to 20 lanes. Yeah, that's probably an exaggeration for a United States highways, but you get it because you're going to be increasing by that much the lanes of information that's able to be processed. And that's where 5G is really going to allow these mobile providers to handle the increased use requirements, both residential and business commercial use with ease. Both T-Mobile and Verizon are starting to offer home internet service based off of 5G, just as proof that this is actually something that will work. 5G is a game changer in terms of business and personal communications and being connected. So basically with them offering the home 5G, you're skipping the traditional ISP internet service provider offering and you're going straight to wireless and you're going to have 5G broadband in your house connected to a router that everybody's able to connect to. Basically the same thing you have right now, just that instead of it being connected to the phone wire or cable, it's going to have a little SIM card in there and it's bringing in the 5G service from whoever that provider is. Anyways, thank you again to Hugh Oda. This was an amazing show and I've got to ask everybody out there watching, do you want to be a guest on the show? Do you have an amazing business story you want to tell me that you want to get out to the world? Are you a subject matter expert that want to talk about how your clients pivoted during the pandemic? Shoot me an email, david at sharkbitebiz.com. Once again, I'm David Strasser. This is Shark Bite Biz, and we'll see you again next episode. Cheers. Thank you for listening to Shark Bite Biz. We hope you got some insightful info from this podcast. Be sure to subscribe to us through your favorite podcast app and visit us on the web at www.sharkbitebiz.com. How has business changed for you in the 20s? Email us at podcast at sharkbitebiz.com so you can join us and share your story.